1: Hi, and welcome to a Thanksgiving episode of Land Grant In Conversation. My name is Matt Tiamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with one of the smartest guys that we regularly have on the podcast, Josh from the College Football Nerds. If you aren't familiar with the nerds, they have one of the best analytical models in the college football space that allows you to go onto their website, plug in the teams and see what their analytics project for the game. They also do a series of YouTube videos on the biggest games of every week. And of course, they have one for this week's rivalry game between Ohio State and the Corn and Blue. But before we get into all of that, Josh puts his big fancy lawyer hat on and walks us through all of the absolute lunacy that is going on around the sign stealing scandal up in Ann Arbor. Then we get into the analytical model. And I will say, while our computer overlords in the college football nerds model do predict one thing that I wasn't super happy about, Josh is actually going against his own model with his prediction. We talk about that, J.J. McCarthy's completely mysterious regression to the mean since, I don't know, October 21st, as well as Marvin Harrison Jr.'s impact on the game and much more. Now, before we get into all of that, if you are finding us somewhere other than your podcast platform of choice, please make sure that you follow us. We're going to have, believe it or not, even though the game is only like two days away, we're going to have so many more conversations that you will want to hear before kickoff in the game on Saturday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your daily dose of audio goodness. All right, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Josh from the College Football Nerds. All right, Josh, the conversation around this football game for the past month, really since around Halloween, (laughs) really hasn't been about the game itself. We're starting to get into more of that uh, now that we actually are in rivalry week. But a lot of it has had to do with sign stealing and cheating and conspiracy theories and Uncle Uncle T's and all of that stuff. From your perspective as somebody who is not you know, significantly invested in either of the two programs at question here. What is just your 30,000-foot view? And also, I don't think this is uh, pulling the curtain back too much. You're a lawyer. Uh, I know this is not probably going to fall into your area of expertise from a legal sense, but, like, what are you, What are your thoughts on this whole absolutely bonkers soap opera that we've been living through for the past three,
0: four weeks? It's insane. It's <laughs> it's just completely insane. And it's been nuts from day one, both from the aspect of what Michigan did and what they were caught doing, how it was covered up, the response from Michigan, the sort of fan theories it spun. We ran a lot of Twitter threads. And as you alluded to, I'm a lawyer. I'm actually a senior partner in a, a major law firm. And I, I dug in a little bit into the NCAA guidebook and the football rule book. And there's all these weird theories floating around. It's like, oh, it's not really illegal. And, well, you can record signs. You just can't do it, you know, in your own stadium. And and most of that stuff, unsurprisingly, really had no basis. I mean, there's a clear rule in the football guidebook uh, regarding playing equipment. Uh, but it's really just with all the other rules on playing equipment, like no use of drums, or record uh, or intercept conversations to the press box or do electronic observation, um, all that kind of stuff. And it just says you cannot electronically record opponent signals, period. Um, <laughs> and that's on top of the no advanced scouting rule. So there's all we've had all this back and forth with Michigan fans. We ended up doing a couple of big threads on Twitter or CFB nerds on Twitter. And we I really tried to just say, here's the rule and let me highlight it. Like there's no qualifiers. This is just, this is just illegal. <laughs> um, and you know, you could kind of see all the stages of grief playing out as people like you know, we're raging at us. And then now it's like, Oh, but well, maybe he didn't know. Maybe, maybe Harbaugh didn't know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And and it's nuts. I mean, they, they clearly cheated. They're caught red handed cheating. I think it's a type of cheating that probably has a really significant impact on the game. I I don't think this is a three point deal. I think in a lot of games, this is probably multiple touchdowns uh, that it could result in. So it's the most insane thing I can ever remember. And in, my opinion, probably the biggest instance of unfair competitive advantage since, I don't know, maybe one of the big recruiting scandals, maybe, you know, Alabama or USC or back in the SMU era. Um, and it just, the amount of just abject denial of the facts staring you in the face have been absolutely insane to me as a lawyer. Um, but, you know, it's also black and white um, and I'm not surprised. And, and of course the other side of it, it's just like every news report I ever read You get really jaded as an attorney because you'll hear about somebody that, uh, oh, well, such and such got assaulted or was, um, you know, put in some adverse employment discrimination action or something. And they always cite to the complaint. Well, the complaint's written by their attorneys. It's usually a very, very one-sided view of all the facts of the case. And they rarely come back and say, okay, well, actually, this is what the defense said or the prosecution said, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And and that's all we've gotten. (laughs) It's just pure spin. Uh, of a situation that, in my view, is a complete, op- just complete open and shut instance of cheating. It's It's been it's been wild. And it's the sad thing is that with the way the NCAA moves, it's going to take years to fully resolve. But, uh, you know, just like spin. Right. You know, the the Michigan, quote unquote, settled with the NCAA to close their investigation. And it's like, what? how is that a big 10? Big 10. Big ten. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, the, you know, the Big Ten. I mean, the, the settlement is we're gonna take all the penalties you have levied against us <laughs> and stop our suit. I mean, what what that's not a settlement. That's this just pleading guilty. And and from the <laughs> onset, also, the last thing I'll say is an attorney, I was baffled they filed for the TRO in the first place. Two of the big cornerstones of a temporary restraining order, which is, is a type of injunction in a case, um, one, you have to have likelihood of success in the merits, and the second is you have to have irreparable harm. And likelihood of success in the merits. I mean, what were they going to argue that the photographic evidence of them cheating wasn't real. Um, so first, I don't think they were going to be able to argue that they didn't do the thing they were accused of. Uh, and the legal theories on why the big 10 didn't have the power to do what they do were literally taken from a bat, a fan blog. And some of which were were kind of back crap, crazy. And then the second part of irreparable harm, Jim Harbaugh can't be on the sidelines for three games. I mean, it's the second time he hasn't been on the sidelines for three games Uh, And you've been winning your games. So yeah, like what, what's the argument there? So you do all that in exchange. You're the plaintiff. So, and you're accusing them of basically misrepresenting facts. So the big 10 had an absolute right to turn around and subpoena Jim Harbaugh and make him testify under oath. And the NCAA can't make you testify under oath. They have a hard time even getting documents but now you're going to let the big 10 get discovery rights and testimony rights on your coaches in exchange for maybe getting them on the sideline for a game or two. It's just legally totally amateurish in my opinion, and just screamed overreaction from good old boys in admin roles. Uh, And again, the, you know, repeating fan blog, arguments almost verbatim in the briefs told me that there really wasn't a lot of legal thought put behind it for a school with such a well-renowned law school. Just crazy. I mean, speaking
1: as I feel like I can for all of Buckeye Nation, we really wanted to see that discovery. I mean, we really wanted to know what would happen with Harbaugh on the stand, but uh, it was all for naught. Like you said, All right, well, let's get into the on-field stuff and your guys' as model. We're recording on Monday. So uh, as we talked about before we started recording, your video kind of breaking everything down is not out yet, but you have recorded it. So uh, I haven't seen it, but we're kind of kind of talk about some of the stuff that you talk about. But I just want to rip the Band-Aid off for Ohio State fans. The model does have Michigan as about like a, a three and a half or I, I'm sorry, a uh, six and a half ish point favorite. Going into the game, the one thing as I look at this though, I, I I want you to explain to me is the fact that the consistency score for Michigan is at eighteen point six eight, where Ohio State's is at eighty three point four one. From my tiny little Ohio State educated brain, to me that looks like there is still a lot of variance that could play into what actually happens for Michigan, while Ohio State seems to be far more settled into the model knowing what to expect from them. Am I reading that correctly?
0: Yeah, I mean, a a Michigan man would have understood that just means Michigan's better. But to everybody else, (laughs) um, you're exactly right. The, The point of the consistency score, and we actually talk about this a good bit on the video, so if you want a longer explanation of this and where the model's at, uh, I would encourage you to watch that when it drops on Tuesday. Um, that score reflects the ability of the model to account for pr- prior performances. So um, our our model is almost entirely proprietary. I have a heavy background in mathematics, minor in mathematics. I was actually majored in electrical engineering before law school. Um, so we built a lot of this from the ground up using a lot of advanced uh discrete statistics regressive statistics that kind of thing um and this score is a sort of a derivation of a lot of ways that people would do uh regressive normalization accuracy predictions so we're rerunning the model against your own past history to say can we actually replicate the actual results if we put the teams you played previously in um you know do you get the same score the answer for michigan is you don't Uh, and that kind of speaks to the reality that michigan's output doesn't really make a ton of consistent sense and the reason I call it a consistency score is what it really ends up saying is that Michigan results through the year have not been consistent with one another there's a low degree of correlation between Michigan's results in a given game and the results in the next game and you know since this is an Ohio State podcast I'll allow myself to put the tinfoil hat on a little bit (laughs) and turn back to the prior conversation which is all of a sudden once Certain things got exposed about Michigan. Their performances actually fell off statistically to a weird degree, right? The lowest QB rating games for J.J. McCarthy are the last three games by a decent margin. Uh, The Purdue game, he did pretty well, 335 yards passing. But 9.1 yards per attempt was actually the lowest yard per attempt that he'd had all year. It was also the first game all year that he did not throw a touchdown pass. That includes, for example, games like uh, you know eastern carolina but also games like nebraska and minnesota where he was throwing over 10 yards per attempt in those games um, and Purdue's not a good defense right and then penn state in maryland 7.5 yards per attempt 6.1 yards per attempt no touchdowns in the last three games and one interception from a guy that had thrown 18 in the prior games um, and our model is really flagging to say hey the team that I thought I saw through October 21st is not the same team that I've seen the last three weeks. Uh, And you can draw your own conclusions. Why that is, is it competition level? Is it maybe something else? Um, But I'll, I'll go ahead and transition to something I, I noted to you before that I'd seen, which is that I actually went to the Michigan Maryland game in person and watching that offense run. I was really struck by about halftime with how much that offense could benefit. And in this case was not benefiting from knowledge of opposing defensive play calls, because they do a lot of stuff to move JJ McCarthy around in the pocket. They run a lot of naked bootlegs, uh, a lot of just rollouts in general. And those things work pretty well, as long as you're not facing any sort of outside blitz in the direction of the rollout. If you do, they tend to result in negative plays and you know, there were a lot of drives where they were moving the ball really well. They really reestablished the line of scrimmage. They dominated the line of scrimmage in those games. No question. But the negative plays that would occur on occasion generally derailed drives at a pretty good clip. And it kind of occurred to me, you know, if you're having these drives and you never roll into a corner blitz, then you probably never take a sack there or you never throw the ball away there and you get six yards and then you just keep moving forward and you advance and you move the chains, you get punched all the way in the end zone. So, you know, there actually is something tangible in our model and my own personal observations, having watched them, I was frankly not very impressed with that offense. It's unsurprising given the way that game went um, that are all pointing to the fact that Michigan's performance doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense the last few weeks. And then maybe there is. Look, we know they were sign stealing, right? That's not conjecture. We know there are benefits from doing that. And I think there's a real reason to believe that it has had a tangible effect on their performance. Um, we talk about that at length in the video again. So I'll, I'll let people watch that because I probably spent as long on that as this entire spot will be. Uh, but the last thing I'll note, even with our model is it has Michigan 23 Ohio state 17, but it actually also has Ohio state out gaining Michigan 5.6 yards per play to 4.9. So there's baked into that is the fact that Ohio state has been consistently inconsistent in the red zone, meaning they oh, like yeah. a lot of RPO offenses. They get these chunk plays, they drive down the field to get in the red zone, they stall People take it as a luck thing, but we've noticed, we noted this years ago with Gus Malzahn when he was one of the bigger generators and they were competing for national titles. The entire hallmark of his offense has always been red zone scoring efficiency. It, it doesn't, his year to year yardage numbers were actually pretty consistent, but his better teams and his worst teams consistently in a given year would be good or bad in the red zone, usually based on whether they could run the ball. Um, and so that's really holding Ohio state back and Michigan on their side they're seen as having this high floor in scoring, and the model has basically said, you know, look, when I look at their past games, partly due to their defense situations, they put them up, you know, the block a punt uh, in the Maryland game, they score more points than they really probably would it be expected to or should for their yardage. And at the moment, the model's still saying, look, that seems to be who they are, but you've got a good reason if you're a Ohio State fan, rather than looking at the score if you want more positive look look at the yards because the yards actually in our model favor Ohio State even though the scoring prediction does not
1: we're talking about JJ this is where it gets it really interesting to me you saw him in person this week because we like to troll Michigan people on our Twitter account it, we kind of really leaned into the fact that in the second half of the game against Penn State he did not record an official attempt uh, to pass the ball at all and now I recognize as you know taking off the the scarlet and gray colored glasses. Like I realized like that's what worked because their offensive line was porous uh, at times in in the first half. But then against Maryland, he was twelve of twenty three. Didn't really do a whole lot, as you said earlier. Did not score or did not throw a touchdown pass. And I, I, I'm I'm wondering what you can do in the model perspective of if he had all of these great games earlier in the season and this is obviously where the the consistency score comes in but like how do how do we as like people who aren't underneath the hood looking at how these numbers are created how much of a grain of salt do we have to put into this whether it's the sign stealing whether it's better competition at the end of the season maybe it's just legitimately people having more film against him um, where the last couple weeks we've seen him not be very good and yet the numbers are telling us that he's had a pretty decent year up until like you said October 21st.
0: We're probably the poster children for grains of salt in the yeah. analytics community. Um <laughs> I we've been doing this for a long time, right? So I I started blogging over 10 years ago. We've been doing the podcast now for gosh maybe 7 or 8 years. Um and so we were kind of at the forefront of this and quite frankly there's a decent chunk of the analytics community that has a love-hate relationship with us because we're also some of the fastest ones to say you know these stats are great and wonderful but against x team they don't really mean anything or they don't make sense or uh, a lot of times we know teams that play weak competition and this is actually front and center if you run our model if you look square over the center of the page you'll see teams with very weak competition are overvalued um, the nature of this sport and the nature of football analytics is when you consistently dominate bad teams, you always look good, even though you maybe aren't that good because there's, and and we kind of coined this concept of freeze points and stall points and break points. And I know Josh paid has kind of taken some of that uh, and run with it himself that teams kind of hit this threshold where they're not quite getting enough yardage. And you have a team that's constantly scoring 30 points and now they can't score 13. Right. Like you you have to have this certain amount of production in order to work or function. And when you play bad teams, you never see a team fall below the like six, seven yard per play mark. And so you don't really know how that offense is going to operate when they're running five yards per play or four yards per play. And they actually have to convert a third and six. What's the re- conversion rate in that circumstance? And, and so a lot of things just kind of disappear. So I say all that to say that it's hard to differentiate that aspect from Michigan because their schedule has been very weak. Objectively, it has been very, very weak, Uh, just sort of the way the Big Ten conference shook out. The fact that Michigan does not have a Power Five at a conference. There aren't many just singular data points to point to. Our own model after the last couple of weeks has actually doubled uh, or I guess maybe halved the quality of Michigan, if you want to think of it that way. We run a power rating and go to collegefootballnerds.com model any two teams you want you can also see our power rating where we modeled each team against every other team in college football and then we spit out the win loss record predicted ones so not just how many teams beat you but just how many games would you be expected to win as a win percentage thing uh Michigan went from two projected losses if they played everybody else in the country to about 5 now and they did that in 2 weeks and that really speaks to the fact that just having a couple harder data points showed warts that had been completely hidden but to your point, I also again, like we said earlier, some of their statistics since the sign selling stuff ended across the board, they've just been worse than they were at any point last year, at any point this year, even against harder or similar competition. And the Maryland game was particularly bad because that's that was a Maryland team that's 80th in the country in pass defense in our metrics. And you couldn't throw the football particularly well. So it, it gets hard to explain. We could go in and we could, you know, we could track recency bias um maybe you know in the future we'll create an option where as a user when you run the model maybe you can select only certain games you want to model the problem is when you only have 12 data points maximum in a regular season yeah if you do any of those things it's so easy to get false positives because so often teams will have a front-loaded schedule and you play five bad teams in a row you dominate them and everybody says oh they fixed all their issues they went one and two to start the season, but they're undefeated since. It's like, no, no, you know, they won every game by 30 points and then they go 0-3 to end the year. Uh, most of the time, how you, who you are at the beginning of the season is pretty close to the end of the season. I think the exception is new quarterbacks. JT Barrett, 2014, was an example. Not a very good quarterback week two. Was a really good quarterback one of the most efficient passers in the country into the year. People that have not really watched Alabama week to week, I don't think understand the just chasm between what Jalen Milrow was week two against Texas and what he has been the last few weeks. And I don't care competition level aside, even against Arkansas, he couldn't hardly complete a forward pass. And now against Kentucky, he who's a pretty good defense, they just lit him took him apart. So um teams do change, but you know, it, it's it's really impossible to rectify, I think, for this Michigan team. And that's what makes this game difficult, like the consistency score and everything else. This is people talk about a hard game to predict because two teams are good or they're evenly matched. This is the most difficult game to predict that we can ever really remember because you have a Michigan game with almost no data points of playing a complete team combined with a Michigan team that has performed in an inconsistent basis relative to competition at a clearly delineated point. So what they are this week going to Iowa State, if you can figure that out, you probably make yourself a lot of money. Um, But I I can't think of any other season or any other game in memory where you get to week 12 and I feel like week 12 is my entire going to be my entire consensus of what two teams are um, and I think the interesting part of that narrative right is how you want to view this whole sign stealing saga probably is going to come down to the outcome of this game because if, uh, if Ohio State blows out Michigan mm-hmm. everyone forever is going to say yeah that was just because Michigan signed steel that was the only reason they won the last two weeks or last two years, right, against Ohio State. And if Michigan comes out and they win by a point, then everyone's going to say, yeah, well, they were just a physical team and a better team, and maybe it mattered, but it just would have been a closer win. Um, And it's probably, in a highly variable sport, unsustainable or unsupported, why that's the opinions that are out there. Um, But (laughs) that's the reality we're dealing with, and I think all of us, including us objective, data-driven guys, are just throwing up our hands and saying, well, we'll find out on Saturday, right?
1: Yeah, I, I have been on record that I don't actually think the sign stealing, you know, changed the outcome of either of the last two games, especially because, uh, you know, in 2022, they, uh, Mission kind of won running away at the end of the game. And there were some fluky things in there potentially as well. But, uh, if Ohio State does blow them out, like you just said, I will absolutely trumpet the fact that they only won those games because they cheated just for the sheer humor of the whole thing to continue this, uh, this comical escapade that we've been living through for the past month. But, um, you mentioned that Michigan has been inconsistent. Um, obviously all of the issues starting on October 21st or whatever, Ohio state has also been, you know, in many of the exact same ways inconsistent. They both have, depending on which metric you're looking at, including on, on your site, one or number one or number two in in whatever defensive category nationally that you look at the offense has been pretty up and down and that is something that is very new for a Ryan Day led team as you look at them aside from the red zone stuff that we've talked about are you able to pinpoint who this Ohio State offense actually is um you know from a from a non metrics perspective it sure seems like The offense has changed quite a bit now that Travion Henderson is back healthy, but we've also seen him be healthy in the past and not do anything near what he's been doing for the last few games. So even for me, I'm not sure what to make of
0: this team, at least on offense. I wish I had a clearer answer for you. Uh, Unsurprisingly, I mean, it is tough. It's just difficult to really evaluate properly what this Ohio State offense is. Uh, the Rutgers game a few weeks ago, we scored 35 points, went handily, but it was a 5.96 yard per play performance. It was really per play. It's kind of interesting that Rutgers game and the Wisconsin game, Ohio State almost has the, the exact same statistics. It was really just a reflection of some other things that happened in that game, right. That allowed it to bring open in a game where you had 328 yards. Michigan State two weeks ago, you can just kind of throw that one out. Michigan is state is a, atrocious team this year yeah. flat out they just yeah, are terrible uh and it's it's hard to say a lot from it i thought the minnesota game was impressive because minnesota if nothing else has played good defense and ohio state didn't move the ball well 6.5 yards per play i mean that's about almost two yards per play better than ohio state was the middle of the season against penn state i do think there are a couple things that have come into play with ohio state that both explains it and also makes it hard to have a better overall consensus the first is the injuries the running back position have affected him. I think ha- not. it's more than just not having Henderson, it also disrupts your ability to rotate backs effectively and situationally. The second thing that I think it's really overlooked is the injury to egbuka because without him, teams were able to key on Marvin Harrison in a way that they really hadn't. And the thing that struck me in that Minnesota game, egbuka had five receptions for 83 yards. You look at the Notre Dame game, he had seven receptions for 96 yards. They really do like to lean on him more and more as games matter right in in the big games against tough defenses a lot probably due to how teams play harrison but he's a key cog in that offense and i'm not i'm not sold on him being an absolute top tier receiver but he's a very good one and i think some of the other guys fleming and some of the others on that roster haven't necessarily panned out to that degree or at least they're not viewed as being as reliable by the coaching staff and so i think the combination of having henderson banged up and having a buka out really did impact the offense But I will always go back to the thing that we said in our preview, having looked at the spring game, this was the season preview for Ohio state. I still think it's true. And that's that. I just don't think the offensive tackle play is very good. Um, They've gotten better over the course of the year to where they're not readily giving up pressures. They've kind of adjusted, I think to the level of play they're dealing with. Um, They still don't get much push and they still don't give a ton of time. And the biggest thing I will say in terms of a change in the offense I don't think Cal McCord has played at a very high level. Maybe not the expectation that was expected. I don't think he's a bad QB. The biggest thing they've done is they've really shortened up a lot of the passing routes and they've really made a focus on getting the ball out faster because the truth is they just don't have the offensive line to try to throw the ball vertically frequently to the extent that they have the past few years. And early in the season, there were a lot of instances where McCord took heat and, Watching it live, I mean, he was getting hit constantly, and the internal clock in that kid's head as a first-year starter had to be all kinds of messed up. Uh, So, they've been more consistent offensively, I think, since they went to a shorter passing game. They've been able to get a little healthier, they can run the ball better. The flip side to that is they've gotten less explosive because, and this is the real shame of it, if you got a guy like Marvin Harrison, a tall, very fast, prototypical pro-style receiver. He's dangerous when he can run deep posts and double moves and run deep corner routes, stuff that let him use his speed and then present a big target down the field. If you ask him to run a 10 yard hitch or a seven yard out route, does he get open and make the play? Yeah. But his skills don't differentiate that much from other receivers in such a small space. And in those types of routes and cuts, and so it is kind of limited Ohio State's talent advantage, but it's a trade-off that's been beneficial, I think, because it's allowed them to be a lot more consistent offensively. And they've kind of had to transition. And I think that's a big key to who they are now. Um, and again, having a more healthy roster, because it just gives you more weapons in a, in a quicker game, helps. But they've had to, I think, adjust into being more almost West Coast style in terms of release and route concepts and that kind of thing. And frankly, I think they've kind of had to abandon the vertical explosive RPO attack they've been the last few years. And the driving force, some of it's the quarterback, his ability to complete those long throws, et cetera. I mean, it's definitely not helping, but a lot of it is they just don't have the offensive line to take those shots and they don't have the offensive line to run the ball well enough to put them in the down and distance to do so either. Um, so I think that's really, to me, been, it's a synergistic problem, but the problem with the offense and that's the adjustment I think they've made to deal with it. So if Ohio State is
1: going to win this game for the first time since 2019 what is one thing that they have to do on either offense or defense that you think will go the farthest to get them back in the win column
0: Turnover margin is probably my answer to that and Oh interesting You could almost, okay. You you could hear the sigh because it feels like a cop out <laughs> It <laughs> One of my big complaints is there are certain statistics everybody loves to cite, you know, third down conversion percentage, first down rate, um, turnover margin that define wins. And it's like, yes, these are the statistics that usually cause you to have won a game. There are also some of the statistics that are the least predictable <laughs> and in some ways least coachable because it, it, what you're really just saying is the team that had the best outcomes and turned the ball over the less and made the fewest mistakes, won the game. That's not surprising on the back end. What's really hard is to say who's going to throw the fewest interceptions on the front end and who's going to have the best third down conversion rate and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Michigan is very much predicated on being on schedule. And they do a lot of stuff, as I said, that's it's really struck me as an offense that actually is kind of prone to being disrupted. And you get advantages from that. Like you do a, a naked rollout uh, one way or the other. It tends to give clear throwing lanes to the quarterback. McCarthy is pretty good at throwing on the move. They run flood concepts. So it's a simple read and guys are typically open in those concepts. Um, but those concepts also open you up, as I said, just things like if you do a naked bootleg into a corner blitz, it's probably going to be a sack or an interception or something. It's very hard to run that play and not take a negative uh, a negative play if you run into the wrong defensive scheme. And so I think it's important that Ohio State finds ways to generate big negative plays on Michigan, something that's not really happened to them to the extent that they needed the last couple times they've played, something that I think hurt Michigan a little bit in the Maryland game, but in particular in the playoff game against TCU, that was the dagger for Michigan, right? It was a few bad offensive plays that hurt them in possessions where otherwise they were scoring very effectively. And really a couple bad defensive plays, too, that broke that game open. And so if you're Ohio State, you're probably going to get some opportunities. And the key is when you get those interceptions, one, you better catch it. And two, ideally, you run it back for a touchdown. And if Ohio State can do that a couple times, yeah, they have a really good chance to win the game. Um, But if they don't capitalize on those opportunities and you let Michigan kind of get by and play their style of football, which is minimize mistakes, continue to advance the football, and get pressure. And I will say the danger for Ohio state here is this is a team that has a very good exterior pass rush against a team that again, I don't think Ohio state has great offensive tackles. If you win that negative play column, I think you're probably going to win the game. Uh, But getting there, getting there is the hard part, right?
1: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of hard parts with this Ohio state team this season, but this is not an analytical uh, analysis or or a, a metric based analysis by any means, but I was, a, I was a senior when Ohio State won in 2002, and these, this team just feels similar to that. It's not the same construction of a team, but there's just something about the vibe around the team that feels similar to that one. Um, maybe it's because I went into every one of those games, just like I do every one of these, thinking that Ohio State very well could lose. So uh, maybe that's just the same feeling that I'm getting. Um, but I like that feeling because I know where, where that one ended up. And so it... it, it Calms me a little bit more than you talking about turnover luck and uh, uh, being the key to that game. So, so we will see. I, I don't want to spoil anything from the video if you don't want to talk about. But we know what the what the model says. This the the score will be. Do you want to
0: reveal where you actually came down on the video? Uh, so I will tell you. I actually picked Ohio State for the upset. Um, okay i warn you, we've been wrong on that game for, I think, three straight years, <laughs> uh, but I'll reveal that and shameless self-promotion to say that if you want to hear why I picked Ohio State win, and it's similar to these things, but at, at greater length, feel free to check out our video. College Football Nerds on YouTube is our main avenue, but you can also find us on Spotify and all major podcast platforms. We usually put out a video or audio version, which is often a little later in the week. Um and then, yeah, at CFB Nerds, you can follow us there, see when we release content, or check us out at collegefootballnerds.com, and you can run the model, see all our statistics. We have a statistic called relative performance. We see how you did against your opponents, how they did against everyone else. Basically just saying, are you 20% better than everybody had been against your composite schedule, et cetera, um, as a pure opponent-adjusted metric. You can run all that on the website. So, yeah, we, we did pick Ohio State to win. Check it out to see why, and, you know, that's, that's all I'll say here. Try to try to plug it a little bit, but I think you guys got a pretty good take of it on the, on this appearance.
1: Yeah. I, I, well, you know, I, I think you guys are brilliant and I never question anything that you ever say. I think you are always 100% right, especially after you told me that. So, um, and I, 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 will say, uh, with the with the website having the model and all of the different things that you can can play around with, now I have been loving it all season. Uh, not only the the team models, but the quarterback and running back model projections that you have as well. Uh, I've really enjoyed having that, and like you said earlier, maybe there will be some additional features in the future. But it's been a really nice addition to my kind of weekly prep to kind of see where you guys are coming down. Uh, you know, in the past I'd have to kind of just. Hope that you did a video on, on an Ohio State game, but now having this to kind of play around with uh, on my own time has been really nice. So uh, congratulations on that and looking forward to whatever you guys do with it in the future as well.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, just hopefully people can go on there and be clear, you can go on there and model Ohio State versus Georgia, Ohio State versus yeah. Alabama, Oregon, Washington. And it is kind of fun for us too, because I was actually having to do most of that by hand. <laughs> oh. And that was a little brutal, doing all the data entry just to run a model. Uh, So automating it was a huge lift for us. Um, And thankfully, Daniel is um, kind of a genius coder. He actually his day job is he runs web development for major startups. Um, So between the two of us, we managed to get it all get it all an automated system It was a big deal for us. And we put it out there free for everybody to play with. So go out there and check it out if you haven't
1: well josh i really appreciate you breaking all this stuff down we of course will have links to the website and to the video and everything else that the college football nerds do and uh thanks for spending the time Uh, have a great not only thanksgiving but final week of the college football regular season and i i know you guys won't slow down once we get into the conference championships and then the bowl season but uh hopefully you can enjoy this week a little bit
0: well thanks a lot matt it's always a pleasure to be on and i appreciate you having me